job. And you can hear all the details from Pearlie. Um, so, so she grabbed me and told me that story. And then we had uh, another, uh, you remember, a Nigerian woman who shared with us who was just here that she said, I, I was thought about giving, but I thought, you know, she needs to talk, but I want to share my story. So um, isn't it God great? And how many of you have ever had somebody walk up to you in a store and give you a job? How many of you have prayed for God to bless your finances? Yeah, you know, there's a connection there. <laughs> uh, but God, God may have blessed you in a whole lot of other ways when you prayed that prayer. So, um, yeah, so we are praying for God to bless each of you um, in, your, in your finances and uh, in your time and your health and every other way because, uh, you know, God actually cares, believe it or not. He's not too big a God. It's amazing. That was what we noticed in the, Eli in the Elisha story. God is not only greater and takes care of everything, but he also cares about each person. And uh, so, uh, we're talking about Thompson Dam <clears throat> and the overflow. That This is a place that in uh, Jay Cook State Park where we block the water so that it can overflow and, and run, the, uh, run the generator, which lights up most of the houses in Duluth. Actually, if you counted all the four dams on the St. Louis River, I'm sure it would, it would uh, do them all. And uh, this is a place... I want to talk about overflowing joy and generosity. And so I got some, uh, some friends who are going to help us pass out. Laurel brought these last week, um, but we didn't have time to get to it, so we thought we'd do it today. Now the kids are gone, so the Play-Doh's coming out. All right? So we'll come and pass out the Play-Doh. Also, if you didn't get a um, uh, sheet for the, um, what we're studying, the, the uh, ask, there you go. Purdy's got them. If you didn't get the verses, uh, Purdy can hand those out. And then if you didn't get a uh, communion, um, then we'll, we'll do that too. Purdy over there. Oh, you got them on both sides. All right. So, uh, all right. And, I, and while that's happening, I'm going to keep going. So Jesus says this about generosity and joy. He says, the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So one of our motivations to follow God is to get the treasure, to get the kingdom of God, because it, and it's worth everything we have. And joy. Because everything we have comes from God. The rain that flows through the dam at St. Louis all comes from God. Everything we have, our life, our breath, our everything we have, all our relationships come from God. And so we, he has the joy. And then here's the other story. Um, the rich young ruler asked for eternal life. What must I do to have an eternal life? And Jesus said, looked at him, loved him, and said, he uh, what, what are the commandments? And he said, you just lack one thing. Sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. You will have eternal life. And, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, whoop, that doesn't, that doesn't connect for us, does it? Sad because he had great wealth? He wasn't ready to give up his wealth to get the joy and the life that he could have unlike this other guy. So, in Luke 12, Jesus says it this way, if God cares 
so wonderfully for flowers, that pretty much just mentioned this, that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, you will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith, so little trust? And don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your Father already knows your needs. You believe that? Seek the kingdom. Go after that treasure. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Do you believe that? That God really will give you everything you need if you seek his kingdom above everything? Even if it's costly? So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. So I want you to notice, the joy that we're talking about starts with God's joy. Any fathers or mothers here have joy in giving things to their kids? Isn't it great when you can give your kids just what they need? Now, some of your kids might be ungrateful like some of us are sometimes. But it's still a joy to give to your kids. And it gives the Father great pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not just your, your breath and your clothes and your food, but everything. The kingdom, because he loves you, because he cares about you. You believe it? Don't be, so we don't have to be afraid, right? He's got everything. He cares about us. And he gives him joy to give it to us. So he says, sell your possessions. Give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. No stock market can dump it. No economy, no Ukrainian war can change it. No inflation can, can steal into it. No rust can eat it away. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Our van was getting so rusty, we had to get, get it to somebody else before there was nothing left of it. So we could get some kind of benefit out of it. Stuff doesn't last unless you transfer it to the place that you're moving to. You can't keep it, but you can ship it ahead. But it's got to be in the right currency. There are wire transfers available to the kingdom of heaven. 1 Timothy 6 says this, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. He talks about some people act like godliness in order to get money. No, no, but true godliness with contentment is great wealth. You heard Sylvia talking. Last Miss Sylvia was talking about she's got great contentment. You know, you, she doesn't have great wealth, but she's got great contentment. Hurley's got some great contentment. And that, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world. We can take nothing with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let's be content. Now that's hard for Americans to say, just food and clothing? That's it? I know some Tanzanians who would be very happy with just food and clothing, especially right now the prices are sky high because of famine, because of world economy, COVID, whatever. Food and clothing would be great. But if we have that, let's be content. Because with godliness, it's great wealth in itself. 
Teach those who are rich, he's skipping ahead a little in 1 Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to put their trust in their money. So here's two places we can get joy from money that are actually stealers of joy. One of them is pride. Okay? You can be proud of what you got. Hey, you know what my net worth is? As if that's what I'm worth. That's not what you're worth. And we can have pride a lot of different ways. Um, and that, that's the downside of maybe sharing our, our, our generosity stories is it's, it's easy for pride to sneak in. Because we can have, be proud about how much we give. Two. I was reluctant to share our story, but Jet Laurel really pushed me <laughs> to share some of our story because it's so easy for pride to get in there. And when Jan mentioned that Pastor John shared this with us, the next, okay, so pride is one thing. The other thing is money is so unreliable. So the other thing that money can give us contentment and joy, it seems like, because, oh, I've got that money to fall back on. I got that savings account. I got, you know, I, I own my house. I got a retirement account. But money's really not reliable. So it can seem like it can get, give us contentment and joy, but it's false because it's not really reliable. It really leads us to worry when we are depending on our money. Right? Um, so those are two, two ways we can get false joy from money, if we trust in it, we depend on it, or we take pride in it somehow. He says their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Now this is something I have, I have to learn, because I was raised with a little bit of Pentecostal asceticism, a little bit of monk, you know, your, your poverty is next to God in this stuff, you know, because don't spend... You know, get the cheapest gas, whatever. My dad would drive over, drive halfway across town to get the cheapest gas. And we, you know, always had hand-me-downs and raised all our vegetables. We took a little bit of pride in that. And so it's taken me time to realize that God richly gives me everything I need for my enjoyment. He enjoys giving things. And he wants me to enjoy the things he gives. Now, I know this can be taken you know, <laughs> taking too far, and like, oh, I just need to get all the luxuries because God wants me to enjoy everything there is. Um, that's fine. You have to realize that there's also this generosity piece that's even greater enjoyment because it says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So receiving's great. Giving's even greater. So tell them, he goes on to say that, use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works. Be rich, folks. You've got an opportunity to be rich. Be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. And I played around in my Greek, which I don't remember very well, but koinonia is the word there. Ready to share, ready to fellowship, ready to share with others who have need because we get to have this sharing together. One of the things I love about the local church is I get to see who I'm sharing with. I get to eat with them. And I, you know, some of, 
I, I have some mutual funds that I invest in for my retirement, and that, that's good because it pools all the stuff. It's, local church is kind of like a mutual fund because, you know, I get professionals to pick my missionaries and, you know, vet them and so forth. But it's better than that because I know the stock right up front. You know, like if you invest in your own company when you're, when you're working at, as, as a business or a small company, right, you, you have stock in that company, you know how it's going. You know how much the, the supervisor is making, how much the CEO is making. You, 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 and the local church, we get to share together. And we get to share beyond us. Um, so it's just a great investment. Um, so be ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for this future so that they may experience true life. Do you want to experience true life? Paul says right there. And it sounds a little like Jesus. I wonder if that's where he got it from. He says invest in treasure that's going to last. A good foundation for the future. I know I've, I've got some savings, some retirement savings that's a foundation for the future, but it's just a foundation for a few years. I don't even know how many years. But I know how many years eternity is. Infinite years, right? My retirement savings might be for, I don't know, five years, 30 years. But that's nothing compared to eternity, right? So I'm really glad to be investing in true life and the real future. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 7 says this. The Apostle Paul is called to generous giving. Now this is to the Macedonian church, or no, to the Corinthian church in southern Greece. He talks about the Macedonians in northern Greece. Philippi, Thessalonica, we've just been talking about those folks. Now I want you to know, dear brothers, that God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. There's an overflow word right there. I didn't put it in there. Their poverty and their joy overflowed in rich generosity. Paul talks about this. I was checking out these other verses. You know, he writes right away to, in 1 Thessalonians, and he says, I was wondering if you were going to make it with all the suffering. And then I heard that despite all the suffering, you have received the true message with joy, and you're living in it. And that's gotten to be known all through Macedonia. He writes to the Philippians, who were also in Macedonia at another time, he says, thank you for your gift. And not that I needed it, because I've learned contentment. I can be hungry, or I can be full. I can still be content, because God is able to give me the strength to do anything. We all quote that verse, right? We seldom remember that it's about being content in every circumstance. He's able to strengthen us for everything. So, and then he goes on and says, but, you know, I'm not... I, you know, it's great that you were concerned about, you were you concerned about me more than once, and I appreciate it, I'm so grateful, but it's not that I needed it, because God's going to take care of me, but I'm really glad for what's going to be credited to your account, for the treasure that you are receiving. And that, honestly, is what excites me about this series, because I'm excited about what's going to be credited to your account. The investments, the joy that you get to have. Now, we're not just talking about money. You also have opportunities to give 
with your time, with your talents, with prayer, with relationships, with food, with having somebody over, having somebody sleep at your place. There's all kinds of ways to give, right? So if you're like, I, I don't have much in my account. Some of you young people are like, you know what, I don't have much money. You got more time than some other people do. You got stronger backs than some of us do. You have things to give that other people don't have. So, it, oh, they, they were filled with abundant joy in the midst of their poverty and persecution. And that overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, most of us are like, well, how much could I afford to give? But much more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us to give them something. No, no. Again and again, for the privilege of sharing in this service, in this gift. Again, the word is there, sharing, koinonia. Fellowship, the opportunity to share. The gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Now, we're going to get to the verse, but I want you to remember... Where did this stirring thing start? Well, it started with God. It was definitely in Jesus. How could God, who had everything, give sacrificially? And yet, God did. By coming to be one of us, giving his life, and, and dying, giving his son. God showed us how to give sacrificially, and joyously. Because he did it for the joy set before him. That's why he went to the cross. So Jesus did it with great grace, which is just after this verse. And then the church in Jerusalem did it. That got picked up by the Philippians and the Thessalonians and now the Corinthians. Wow, Barnabas, who started out on the mission trip, he was one of the first ones to give, right? And then think about how this manifested to many others. It's overflowed. Everybody who's read this scripture has been overflowed to them. So they begged for the privilege of sharing for the believers in Jerusalem and their poverty, sharing between churches. They even did more than we'd hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So um, some people ask me some follow-up questions about tithing, which is 10%. So in the Old Testament, the, the, the deal was, if you were, you gave to a king to show that you were his subject. It was taxes. It's like you all give your Social Security taxes 15% to show that you're a U.S. citizen. You get a Social Security card so you can get, and then, and actually I love giving my Social Security because that means I'm sharing with some of you, some of you old folks. I'll be there soon, I know. Um, but I get to share with people who are in, in need. Some people are disabled, some people are older, some people can't work anymore. That's, that's a great tax to me. Um, we get to help out with people who are sick, people who are needy, people who can't work anymore. Anyway, it's that kind of thing where you're saying that God is my king. And actually, it's more than that in the New Testament. God, everything I have is from God. So if you can't do 10% yet because you're, you're st getting started in this, just do something to show that, you know what, God is my king, and I give that first, out of my gross, first, to show that God is first. Be before the U.S. government, I'm a citizen of heaven. Before I'm a citizen of the U.S. government, I pay my giving before I pay my taxes. Um, so, 
anyway, and then, and I give my 10% personally to the local church because that's where, where I'm at. And then beyond that, I give to other things, usually to the extra offerings at the local church or to team or to other, usually our missionaries. So actually, most of the giving ends up going through the church anyway. 10% goes to general fund. The rest of it goes to the other parts. Anyway, so we urge Titus, who encourage your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, and Bethel Christian Fellowship, you excel in so many ways, including giving. Um, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I want you to notice this word grace is all through here. And you know, it just dawned on me late in the week. Wait a second. I know that word, charis, grace, free and unmerited favor, kindness, gift, blessing. I just remembered that it's actually related to kara, which is the Greek for joy, gladness, happiness. No wonder that they are intertwined, like they're part of the same thing. And charisma, a gift. Now, we usually talk about charismatics and people who believe in spiritual gifts. But it, the word just means gift. Um, and eucharisteo means giving thanks. So if you want to put it into uh, English alliteration, I, I put it in there for you. Grace, gladness, gift, and gratitude. All right? But it's all connected. It's all related to the same word. So it's no wonder that when we give, or when God gives to us, from his great grace and out of his great joy, we get to participate that and, and we give graciously and generously and joyously and we get to participate. Just like, you know, any of you ever had a four-year-old who's like, Daddy, what you doing? Can I help you? He's not even four yet, right? <laughs> That's what we get to do. Daddy, what you doing? can help you and yeah we're not very good at it we don't get to give as much as God does but what fun to get in on what our daddy's doing isn't that great and then one more word that's not related but it's Greek <laughs> koinonia sharing fellowship um, so I decided to go on to psychological research this is what uh, Laurel really wanted to share this slide about where it lights up in your brain when the MRI scans, when they do gem generosity. So, so basically, this, the finding says, you know, chocolate, cocaine, sex, and giving all light up the same part of your brain. Um, it's addictive because it's so fun. So I thought I'd better get some up-to-date research. Um, and I... And I too much detail to go into the MRI scans and the, and the neurobiology, but here's some quotes. Recent work suggests that humans behave altruistically because it is emotionally rewarding. Because you have to figure out, all these biologists are trying to figure out, and psychologists like, it doesn't make sense. It makes sense for me to share my lunch with my son, but it doesn't make sense for you all to share with widows in Tanzania that you're never going to see. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't seem like. 
And yet, so what they've made sense of is that it seems to be that people are wired to be emotionally rewarded by giving. Because we're made in the image of God. Maybe that's why. So, here's another one. Several studies report physical and psychological benefits associated with altruistic behavior. For example, volunteerism, giving your time, doing something for somebody, is positively correlated with self-reported happiness, health, and well-being. I don't have the whole thing, but I... For example, less depression and anxiety. And, and there's a number of things. Not that all depression and anxiety can just be dealt with this way, but... Um, but here's one example. Moen et al. showed that mothers who belonged to a volunteer group were less likely to experience a major illness. The study of adults over 55 years of age, some of us here, um, individuals were 63% less likely to die if they had volunteered for multiple groups in a given time point. Even after controlling for health status prior to the study, volunteering was associated with a significant reduction in mortality. Hey, those of you who are older like me, don't say, hey, I've done my bit. I, I, I did a lot of stuff in the church. I, I, I've helped out with things. Now it's time for me to, you know, kick back a little. Yeah, well, you're going to kick the bucket then. That's what it's saying. you got no purpose being here. You're, you're just going to be like, ah, you know, ah, whatever. That's kind of what it's implying, right? It gives us, you know, I watched my parents do that. They were like on it all the time. When my dad died, mom said, well, I'll just go visit more people. But then she broke her hip, so it was harder. But she kept at it right, right up to the end, her last words. And she lived to almost 97. So if you have a way to give, whatever that is, and not only for the old people, but you know, some of you young parents, we know you're kind of committed already to giving. But it's good for you. It's good for me. It's good for us. And it's great to be a part of a community. Um, somebody, I think it was Pastor Andrew, sent me something about Freakonomics Radio, trying to figure out, does it actually benefit you to give? And they tried all these things. They said, basically, it seems to be a real benefit to be part of a church. And so if you give to the church, I guess that, you know, Freakonomics people are trying to make sense of this. They're like, yeah, actually, it does. It makes you happier to give, even though it doesn't make any sense because it would go better in your IRA. Still seems to make people happy. Um, so, stories of generosity. What's your earliest memory of generosity? Now, shape something. You got some Play-Doh? Make something about your earliest memory of generosity. Okay, you guys are having too, way too much fun for church. It, I, I see some smiles out here. Um, now, I didn't tell you anything about, you know, you, you were just supposed to share a story, but it looks like there was some joy in your story in, in that memory. Um, maybe. At least some of you. So, uh, one more scripture as we go into communion. Um, all the believers, remember this is a summary of what happened in the church in Jerusalem. This is where it all started. Their generosity overflowed. Barnabas' generosity to Antioch, and Antioch's generosity back, and, and Antioch sending out missionaries, and the Macedonian church, and the Greek church, 
sending help back. And it mentions in 2 Corinthians 8 9, you know, you help get to help now, and sometime you, you'll need some help. This is a chance to share. So here's where it started. All the believers devoted themselves. Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? Um, to fellowship, koinonia, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which is where we're headed right now, and to prayer. Those are the four things they were devoted to. And one of them was sharing. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. That was at least as big a miracle, right? They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They made sure that everybody's needs were met, even if they had to sell some property. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. This was a joyful, generous church sharing together regularly. How can you share together with somebody generously, regularly? All the while praising God. This was glory to God through the whole thing. And enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved, to their koinonia, those who were being rescued. Generosity and joy and sharing is attractive. We're talking about overflow. I want you to think about one of the examples we got here is Barnabas. You heard here his generosity story. He sends, he sells some property and gives. Um, and of course, I was, I was reading a, a generosity website. They were saying, friends don't let friends give cash. They, you know, they have ways to give your, give your accumulated, give your property so you don't have to pay taxes on it, so forth. Anyways, he, he gives his property so that people are not poor, right? And Barnabas, as that example, meets the needs of people. And not only does it bless those widows, but other people are being saved because of the generosity and the joy that they see and the sharing they see among this group. So talk about overflow. Think about somebody coming up to Barnabas and saying, thank you for the salvation and the fantastic things that happened in my family. It's like, I don't know you. Were you on one of my missions trips? Were you from Jerusalem? No, no, no. My great-grandfather <coughs> was in Jerusalem, and he was, you got saved because of what you did and your generosity. Oh, great, thank you. Oh, and I want you to meet the under, other 100,000 relatives after me who were saved because... I was saved because of your generosity. Think about the overflow, not only right now or right then, but in generations. It's easy for me to give because my parents and my great-grandparents were generous, and it's fun for me to see my kids being generous. And the people who notice or don't notice, maybe it's 
you know, it's always a trick to know how secret to keep it and how to let people know. But your story, your example, people do what they see done. And this church is a generous church. I watch you given to each other in all kinds of ways. And I'm not even going to start naming them. Because <laughs> I'll forget some. But I, I'll start. I'm here because people gave me rides to church when I was a college student. Three times a week. You too, says somebody. <laughs> so let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for your generosity. We're so grateful that we get to share it together. We're so grateful that we get to celebrate your generosity now by taking communion. Sharing together in Eucharisteo, in thanksgiving to you. Lord, we confess there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, and yet everything comes from you. You are all that we need. God, would you help us to step into your joy in greater measure. Lord, you want us to live in joy. To know that you enjoy us and to enjoy you and to enjoy all that you give us. As we take a moment now, would you speak to us about how we can enjoy you, all that you give and participating with you in giving. I'll give you just a minute to hear what God might be saying to you. thank you for your joyful, generous giving to us, allowing us to participate in your joy, your grace, and your generosity. Guide us, show us, give us the faith we need, the trust we need in you to participate in that joy. Help us to see your love and joy in us and for us. We are your beloved. So beloved, now go in the joy of your Father, in the outpouring, overflowing joy of the Holy Spirit. The, one of the fruits of the Spirit is that joy. And the grace of Jesus Christ who gave himself for you and your joy.